If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bible, please uh, slip up a hand. We want to make sure you guys get one this morning. We will be, excuse me, in Mark chapter 1. Uh, And here's what we're hoping for as we start this new series, as we begin into the gospel of Mark. Our hope is that we would recognize that the kingdom of God is at hand. That, that the presence of the creator of this world, the one who knit us together, the one who formed us, like his kingdom and presence is actually here right now. And that the kingdom of God, it was brought forth through the embodiment and the life of Jesus. And we want to help answer the question of what does it look like for us in Monroe and our daily lives to actually live into that kingdom? And ultimately, we want to refall in love with Jesus all over again. And so we're going to be in the book of Mark for the next quite a few weeks. Again, what is this kingdom that we're invited to live into? How are we called to partake in that? And we really want to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And so today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. And the premise scripture for today, and really the premise, uh, premise scripture for this whole series, and even what our lives hinges on is really this. And it's in Mark chapter 1 in verse 15. Jesus is starting his ministry. He's just been baptized. He's been in the wilderness tempted. And as Jesus starts his teaching, he says this. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Will you pray with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we give you full reign to move in this place. God, I pray that you will quiet any distractions, Lord, the distractions of this room, the distractions of our own minds, the to-do lists and the hurry of our life, Lord, will you help silence those things just for a little while? Lord, will you allow your word, which is active, it is alive, it is real, to actually speak to us and pierce our hearts, Lord, will we not open up this word just as these concepts to learn from in our head, but to be transformed by in our heart, God. And so we just welcome you into this place, Lord. I yield to you for you to speak through what you want said to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that have been with us for the last quite a few months, we just got done going through a series in the book of Genesis. We, we opened up and we started at the beginning of creation. And what we saw over the last couple months is that Everything, since the beginning of time, since creation became what it is, everything has been pointing and working towards this point in time. The time when the Messiah would actually come, when the redemption of God's people would actually come, that the people of God were in expectation. They were expecting the Messiah. They've been expecting the Savior. They were expecting the kingdom of God. But yet the Jews and and what they were expecting of the Messiah and and through the, the Old Testament, through the prophets and the teachings, what they were expecting and what actually came was very, very different. Like the Jews, they were expecting the Messiah to be this political leader that was going to come in and dominate the forces of Rome. Uh, Like the Roman Empire had been ruling and oppressing and kind of domineering over the Jewish people. And so in their mind, the Jews thought when the Messiah comes, man, he's going to stick it to Rome. He's going to give it to them. They're going to get what they deserve because we're God's people. We're to be honored. We're to be uplifted. And the Messiah is going to really stick it to Rome. 
They thought that the Messiah was not to associate with the sinners. They said when the Messiah comes, he's not going to associate with the poor. He's not going to associate with the sinners. He's not going to associate with those Gentiles, those outcasts. They expected the Messiah to establish a kingdom that was going to conquer the enemies of Israel. Again, saying we're God's people. When he comes, we're going to be elevated. We're the ones that are going to be reconciled. We're the ones that are going to be justified. And God's people had been an expectation But what they were expecting, the kingdom that they thought this is the way God works and the way that God's kingdom actually came was very, very, very different. Francis Chan says that Jesus came and he showed. He didn't just talk, but he actually showed that my kingdom is not what you're used to. It's not like your culture. And as believers, he calls us to do something totally different. He doesn't choose what everyone else would choose, and he wouldn't choose the people that everybody else would choose. He chose the nobodies. When God's kingdom came, he chose the sinners, and he didn't care if it made some people mad because he didn't come to please man. He came to please God. And this leads us now to the book of Mark. This leads us to the life and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the good news that the kingdom of God has come, and it came through the person and the embodiment of Jesus. And some background even on Mark. Mark was a disciple of Peter who was a disciple of Jesus. And so Mark learned firsthand, and, and even some scholars believe that there's, there's some references, not by name, but uh, by reference of Mark actually in his writings. But he was a disciple of Peter, would have learned, would have heard firsthand of the teachings and the things that Jesus did, and he was also a helper and kind of a, uh, a companion to the Apostle Paul and a lot of his ministry endeavors. Uh, Mark, it is the earliest gospel written, and it's also believed that this book was also what Matthew and Luke used as references to help smooth out and, and kind of explain their gospels a little bit more. Mark is heavy on the authority of Jesus, and just a a fun fact is that this is actually the most translated book in the Bible in the entire world. That when Bible translators go to a new people group, this is the book that is the, the, the most primary source of translation. One, because it's just packed full with the doings and the sayings and the workings of Jesus, but it's also the shortest. So if you're going to translate a book, pick the shortest one and make your work a lot easier. But the Bible Project also says that Mark is very fond of the Greek word euthus, which is translated into the word immediately, and it's used 41 times in his teaching. And though the the word doesn't always mean like just then or right now, Mark uses this word in a sense to propel the gospel forward, to propel the teaching forward. In essence, he's saying like, I don't want you to miss this. Like, like the things that Jesus said and did, like, I don't, I don't want you to miss this, so we're going to keep moving forward. I don't want to get lost in the weeds. I want you guys to see, and I want you guys to hear what Jesus did and what he said. And there's this urgency that Mark is going to write with. 
And so over the next weeks, as we'll study through this book, it's going to seem kind of like boom, 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 like one after another, after another. And again, Mark is coming with this great sense of urgency. Scholars will say that like Matthew and, Mar- or Matthew and Luke, they'll, they'll take some more time to, to give explanation and to smooth things out and to give kind of some backdrop to uh, the stories and, and the things of Jesus. But Mark, man, he is jacked, he is pumped, and he's coming in hot. And so we are going to move with urgency through these teachings. So if you have your Bible, I do want to read that verse one more time as we get in and really begin to tear apart this book. Verse 15 says, The time has come, the kairos moment of God, the strategic, appointed, God-anointed time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I think it's important for us this morning to recognize why is it important that the kingdom of God is here. For Jesus to start out and first thing in his teaching, he says, the time has come near, the kingdom of God is near. It's important to recognize that for the people who would have heard this, that the kingdom and the presence of God was isolated for a select few very rarely throughout the year. Like back in Moses, when the presence of God rested on Sinai, Mount Sinai, Moses called, or a God called Moses up the mountain, but he told, he told Moses to tell the people, do not let the people even touch the base of the mountain. Because if they do, my presence is so intense, even if they touch the base, it'll kill them. And says that the mountain, as God's presence came down, as the kingdom of God fell down to this earth, the mountain, this huge, massive mountain, actually began to shake and to tremble because the presence of God was so heavy. And only Moses was allowed to go up. And it says that even when Moses came down, like his skin was like glowing. Like the presence of God was so intense that only Moses was allowed to walk up there. The priests, then as we get into the temple and the Holy Spirit and the presence of God was residing in the temples, only the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies, into the innermost place of the temple once a year to actually be with God. And there was this very intense, very lengthy cleansing ceremony that the priests would have to go through because the presence of God was not something to be messed with. It wasn't something to be flippantly just encountered and walked into, but it was a big, big deal. And Jesus starts out and he says, the kingdom of God has come near. It is no longer off in this faraway place, unaccessible. It's no longer reserved only for the high priest. It's no longer reserved only for those who I have um, uh, very minutely uh, appointed and picked. But the kingdom of God is now as near to you as your hand is to your body. Like it's no longer in this faraway place, but as you can look down in your lap and your hands and the ring that's on your finger or even maybe the watch on your wrist, he says the kingdom of God is this close. It's with us right now in this moment while we sit here today. It's as accessible as the phone in your pocket And as the lyrics in in Jonathan Helser's song, Abba, he says, God, you're even closer than the skin on my bones. 
Jesus opens up and he says, more like, like closer than the skin on your flesh, closer than the watch on your wrist, your hand, even to your own body, my presence is near and it is with you and it is here right now. The difference, again, between man's kingdom and what we expected and God's kingdom is what came is man's kingdom comes to dominate. It comes to oppress the weaker. Man's kingdom comes to rule and to reign and to take and to lord over. And God's kingdom came in when he said, it is here. It came in humility and it came to work from the inside out, not oppress from the top. Man's kingdom comes to dominate God's kingdom comes in and says, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm coming in humility. God says, my kingdom is here, but it looks nothing like what you were expecting. David Guzik said that contrary to the expectations of most people in his day, Jesus brought a kingdom of love, not subjugation or control. He brought a kingdom of grace, not law, of humility, not of pride. His kingdom was for all men, not just for the Jews, to be received voluntarily by man, not imposed by force. You see, God's kingdom flipped man's perspective of what a kingdom was supposed to be on its head. As people, we have these evil tendencies that says, yeah, yeah, but if I create my kingdom, it's going to be to dominate, it's going to be to oppress, it's going to be to rule. My reign is going to be seen, and God's kingdom comes in. And totally flipped that on its head. And so again, the question we want to answer as we go through this series is how are we actually being invited now to live into that kingdom? What applicably are we being called into, asked, invited, and how can we step into that? So glad you asked. We're going to be still in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says that the kingdom of God has come. The first thing he says is to repent. And the word repent means two things. It'll be up on the screen if you want to write it down. It means to change one's mind for better and then to heartily amend with hatred of one's past sins. It is to change one's mind and then to heartily amend with hatred of your past sins. So so to repent literally means this. It is to walk away, to turn away, to face the other direction from the life that we were living in before following Jesus, and then to hate and have disgust in our heart for those things that we were doing. In the Greek, the word repent, it was this military term, and it literally meant for a soldier to be walking in one direction and then to turn a complete 180 and start walking in the other. And Jesus uses this language as he starts and he says, the kingdom is here. How are we invited to live in that? It is to repent. It is to turn away. It is to walk away in the completely different direction than the life that you were living in, the direction you're walking before coming to me. It is to change your mind. It is to change your thoughts. It is to change your actions. But then it is to have this hatred and this disgust in our heart for the way that we were living before. That if there is not a hatred for sin, then we will continue to justify the sin that we're living in just really isn't that big of a deal. If we do not turn away, if we do not face the opposite direction, and if there is not this unsettling disgust in our heart of living in sin, then we can justify just about anything and make it okay while following God. 
We can make our alcohol addiction seem like not that big of a deal. It's just taken off the edge after a long week. It can make our sex addiction seem like not that big of a deal because our culture justifies it and is normalized it, and so it's okay. We can justify that our pride, it really isn't that big of a deal. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's in my own thoughts anyways. It's in my own head. Nobody knows that. We'll justify that gossip really isn't gossip. I'm just venting. And if we do not have a disgust in our heart for the things that we did before following Jesus, we will continue to justify anything. Again, I love David Guzik. He explains it by saying that repentance does not describe something we must do before we come to God. It describes what coming to God is like. That if you are in New York and I tell you to come to Los Angeles, I don't need to tell you, leave New York and come to Los Angeles. But to come to Los Angeles is to leave New York. If I haven't left New York, I certainly can't come to Los Angeles. And likewise, we cannot come to the kingdom of God unless we leave our sin and self-life. That, that in essence, what he's saying is, again, like for us to follow Jesus, it is in the same hand walking away from sin. It's not, I am coming to you, Lord. I'm surrendering to you, Jesus. I'm choosing to follow you, Jesus, but I'm going to keep some of this stuff that I enjoy doing. I am going to surrender to you. I'm giving my life to you, God, but these few things. But he's saying, no, no, like to surrender your heart to God is literally to walk away from those things. It's not a, I'll do this and still sometimes this, but to follow Jesus is to walk away from this. And the first invitation of how are we going to live into the kingdom of God, it is to repent. It is to say, I am disgusted. I can't keep doing this anymore. I am sorry, repentful, and I am deciding today to turn away and to walk in a different direction. There were things back in 2013, 2014, before I really got saved, that, that I was living in and walking in, that when the Lord got a hold of my heart in my apartment in June of 2014, I couldn't keep doing them. Like the amount uh, of alcohol consuming with, with teammates and friends, like it wasn't something that I could just keep walking in and doing anymore. Like the things that I would say, the foul language that was coming out of my mouth, my actions and my behaviors, the things that I was doing behind hidden doors and closed doors, like I couldn't keep doing those anymore because to follow Jesus was to walk away from those things. And it doesn't mean that it was like overnight, that it was instant, that it was easy, that it didn't, just, that it didn't cost me something, that there wasn't some, some real work that had to go on in those moments, but to follow Jesus was to say no to these things anymore. Like one of my good friends and I, we got saved at about the same time. He was one of my teammates, and, and we, were, we would go out on the weekends, and then we got saved, and it's like, we can't do that anymore. So for us, it was better to be bored and sit in our apartment and know that we were honoring the Lord than to, to go out and have a couple hours of fun and know that we were spitting in his face. And so recognizing that to follow Jesus, to walk into the kingdom he's inviting us into, it has to call forth Repentance. Like that God's kingdom came to save us of our sin. Past, present, and future. Jesus' blood and death on the cross saves us from that. But we have to make the choice and the decision to actually walk away from that. 
Like the payment and the opportunity for freedom in that has been done. Like it's done. It doesn't need to be done again. It has been paid for. We now have to make those choices and whether we are actually going to walk away from that or not. We've got to make that choice. Number two, repentance then leads us to pursue deeper belief. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. The, the, the next phrase there, to believe means to place our confidence and dependence in. It is a conviction full of joyful trust that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the divinely appointed author of eternal salvation and the kingdom of God can join with obedience to Christ. The Monroe version of all that wordiness is this. That to follow Jesus and to believe is to place our confidence in the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. It is then to be full of joy and laughter and hope, believing that what Jesus said that we are invited into now in eternity with God is true. I'm to have confidence, Jesus, that you are who you say you are, but then I'm going to be joyful in believing that you are the way and the only way that I'm actually saved. That my, my, my aim, Lord, is to walk with you, to learn with you, to become like you because you are the only way I'm reconciled to the Father. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul will write that because of Jesus, and this is what we place our confidence in, is that because of Jesus, we are reconciled to the Father. And because we're reconciled to the Father, he now adopts us in as sons and daughters with him. That Jesus, uh, when he comes out from the baptism in, in uh, Mark chapter 1, Jesus, or, uh, God looks down on Jesus and says, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And the fact of the matter is because of what Jesus did on the cross, I am now an adopted son of the Father of creation. God, Abba in heaven. That you are sons and daughters now. And we place our joyful confidence in the hope that we have and that, that that is truth. And that scripture says that when we surrender to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit fills us like a bank deposit guaranteeing the rest of our inheritance to be received in heaven one day. Jesus calls us and he says, believe in me. Have confidence that what I did in the cross is real. Believe in me that when you say yes to me that the Holy Spirit fills you and it's not to go void, that one day when this life is over, your inheritance will be received in heaven and eternity with me. And Jesus says, believe that. Have confidence in that. Place your hope in that. Be joyful in that. And I think we can, we can hear that and, and the struggle when it comes to belief is that Sometimes we can ask the questions of, but what if I just struggle with belief? What, what if I just don't understand some of this stuff? What if, what if I'm confused? What if I don't fully understand what Jesus is saying? Am I, am I failing God? Am I letting God down somehow because I'm struggling to believe some of this stuff? And in Mark chapter 9, we see this unbelievable and this beautiful story of this dad who his son has been possessed by a demon since he was a little, little boy. And this dad is desperate because if you've got kids, you know the feeling of like seeing your, your daughter or your son and the love that you have for them and you do anything in the world for them. And this, this little boy, man, he's being robbed of life from this demon. 
Uh, This demon would throw him into a fire trying to kill him. The demon would try to drown the little boy to kill him. It would convulse. And this little boy's life was being robbed. And the the dad brings the boy to Jesus' disciples. And they're trying to cast out the demon. And the disciples aren't being successful. And, And so Jesus shows back up. And there's all this commotion. He said, what's going on? The dad runs up, he's like, man, like my boy, he's hurting, he's being possessed by this demon, like I'm, I'm aching because it's my kid. He said, your disciples can't, they haven't been able to cast this demon out, but the dad looks and he says, if you can do anything, the dad in his desperation, he sees Jesus and he says, if you can do anything, Jesus said, if you can do anything, He said, everything and anything is possible for the one who believes. The dad says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And in that moment, Jesus heals the little boy of the demon. But I've thought about that passage, and I've thought, how many of us feel like the dad sometimes? Of like, Lord, I believe, but I just need you to help me overcome my unbelief. Back in December, guys, was one of the worst bouts of just fear and anxiety I've ever had in my life. Like just, man, out of nowhere, just got smoked with fear and worry and anxiousness. And just this spiritual warfare was just wearing me out. And there were days and mornings where I'd be in the living room and I would just be praying. I'm like, God, like I know you're real. Like I know you're here. I've seen your hand on my life. I've seen you do incredible things that only you can do. Like I know that you are real. But in this moment, I'm just having a hard time believing that you love me. I'm just having a hard time believing that you're actually here in this place with me. And I would see my boys and, and just the desire to hug them and just want to be with them and just want to hang out with them and just want to talk to them. I'm like, God, I'm just struggling to believe that you actually see me the same way that I'm seeing my boys, that you love me that way. God, I'm just struggling, man. Help me overcome my own belief. And hear me say that if you find yourself in a place like that, like that is an okay place to be. That is okay Because what that can do is two things. Either it can lead you into a place of saying, screw it, I don't feel you, I don't see you, I feel like you've left me, so I'm out. Or what it can do is it can actually draw us closer to the feet of Jesus, deeper to the heart of God and say, God, I believe you. I know you're there. I've seen you move. I've seen your power in my life and I'm just struggling. God, will you just remind me of your love for me? Will you just remind me that you're actually in this place when I don't feel you and getting on your knees and saying, God, I'm just begging you because my heart is aching. Just like that dad, like, man, I believe, God, I believe in who you are. Help me overcome that. And again, if you find yourself there, that's a good place to be because it draws us deeper and deeper and closer to the heart of God. He calls us to repent, which leads us into deeper belief. And through belief in who Jesus is, he then calls us and we are compelled to follow. If you'll go to verse 16, we're going to read a little, read just a little bit here. Mark 1, verse 16, it says that as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for that they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
At once they left their nets and they followed him. And when Jesus had gone a little bit further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The third thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus in the kingdom of God invites us to follow him. Of recognizing that like this passage, I don't want to just breeze through this because there is some great significance here. When Jesus starts his ministry and he starts walking along the sea, he sees these guys that they're fishing. They're just in the boat, they're casting their nets, and the significance of that time was whatever the dad did, the boy did. Meaning that if your dad was a cop, then he would teach you the ways of being a police officer, and one day Vincent would be a police officer. That if Paul had a son, he would teach him the way of law, and Paul's son would become a lawyer one day. That if you were a mechanic, you would teach your boy how to be a mechanic, and one day he would be a mechanic. And so Jesus encounters these boys. They were kind of the looked over. They were the nobodies. Most of the teenage boys at that time would have been picked by a rabbi if they were scholarly and educated and well-thought and and well-spoken. But we get some down-home, backwoods boys who, who weren't the first picked, and they're just in the boat fishing. Manual labor, working. For Peter and Andrew and James and John, for them in their mind, it would have been like, this is it. This is what we're doing. Until we have kids and until we retire, until we die one day, we're fishermen. It's comfortable. It's safe. I know how to do it. I've been taught it my whole life. We've got the equipment. It doesn't take any thought. This is what, this is what our life's going to look like. And Jesus walks across the sea and he sees these guys and he says, hey, come follow me. Let me, let me invite you into something that is uncomfortable. Let me invite you into something that is the unknown. I'm actually calling you to follow me, and I'm inviting you into more life than you ever thought you could possibly experience, but you just don't quite know what it's going to look like yet. And for us to walk and to really be living into the kingdom of God, it is to follow God and take steps of faith and obedience. And hear me say this, I have never once taken a step of faith taking a step that I believed was in obedience based on where God was calling me and ever been disappointed. My wife and I, when uh, we first, uh, right around when we got married, right before we got married, I should say, I was playing baseball. That's all I'd ever known. My dad played baseball. Uh, I played baseball as a kid. No matter how much I wanted to quit, he wouldn't ever let me quit because we just played baseball. And, And I played in high school. I played in college. I got to play professionally just for a little while. And right at the end of my career is when I met my wife, and I was like, well, I know I want to marry her, and I got a couple hundred bucks in the bank, so I bought a ring, and then I had no money in the bank, so we were really screwed, didn't know what we were going to do. And we were looking for a place to live, and we were looking for a job, and I didn't know what that was going to look like, but um, I had a desire to want to coach, uh, to coach and actually run a CrossFit gym, not baseball, but to coach CrossFit. And, and if you've ever, if you're considering doing CrossFit, don't just save your body now. Uh, <laughs> I used to have a couple, a couple good knees and a, and a few good hips, and we don't anymore. So if you're thinking about it, pursue other activities. Um, they have a yoga class here on Tuesdays. 
But the Lord, I had a desire. I was like, man, I, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy working out. I enjoy people. My heart and passion was to coach. And so we were looking at some gyms. We were actually looking at uh, a gym in, in California and one in St. Louis, Missouri. And then uh, we, we started going to the gym in Monroe. And the girls were like, hey, we know you're looking. Why don't you come coach here? And so I said, okay. And so we started coaching. And then before long, the Lord was like, hey, you know that church a couple doors down? Like, I'm actually, I think it'd be good for you guys to engage in that church, which again was hard because my dad is a pastor at a church just a couple towns over. And then he said, hey, not only that, but I want you guys to move to this little town. And so we believed that the Lord was laying on our heart. Hey, we want you to work here. We want you to live here. We want you to go to church here. And so we just began taking these little steps of faith. And through those little steps and through that little gym became some of the people that are sitting in this room. Some of you guys have become the most influential and important people in my wife and I's life. People that we could never thank enough for what you've done. People that have absolutely been used by God to change us forever. And we just started taking steps of faith. And before long, I met this guy, Brian. And Brian and I sat down for breakfast. And he said, hey, man, you ever thought about doing uh, high school ministry? And honestly, at that time, I had no desire to be in any kind of full-time ministry, any kind of ministry at all. Not because I didn't you know, follow Jesus, but I just didn't think that's what I wanted to do. And he said, well, let me, let me connect you with these guys. And so uh, long story short, we took steps of faith and prayer, and it led us to working with NG3, which is a ministry I've been with for a couple years now. And then through getting to know Brian more and getting to know uh, this church more and being involved in this church deeper, Brian began to invest. And, and it's, I say all that to say that through little bitty consistent steps of faith through obedience, it has led me to even be standing here today. Like, Years ago, when I got on stage and did like a first sermon, like it'd be rough to even probably call it that because it was probably so sketchy, but the first, like I hated it. I don't want to do it. I'm like, I don't want to preach. I don't want to speak. I don't want to, I don't know how to do this. It was terrifying. But God's like, just trust me. Take these little steps of faith. See where I'm leading you. See who I'm going to put you in front of. Be faithful with a little so I can trust you with more. And my wife and I have taken these small steps of faith over the years. And I think that she would uh, hopefully agree with me in saying that we have never been disappointed with what the Lord's done. And so to really walk into the kingdom God's inviting us into, it is to follow him into the unknown. It is to follow him in obedience. There have never been steps taken where I thought, dang, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Because where God might be calling you and asking you to step out to in faith, I promise you there is more joy, there is more satisfaction, there is more contentment, there is more peace in those places than anything you might think that you're trying to accomplish or succeed on your own. And so if you feel that prompting of the Lord, like, come with me, follow me. Let, me, let me take you even somewhere that might feel uncomfortable, somewhere that seems a little dangerous or a little risky. Take those steps because he knows where he's leading you. He called forth a bunch of fishermen, and they changed the world. He says, you don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to teach you. But I just need you to come with me. And we're here today because of the mission and the ministry that they went forth and did because they said yes. And to think through how many lives and how many people could be ultimately transformed and changed by God by us taking steps of obedience. 
My wife and I, we were hanging out and we were meeting with some friends uh, even last week. And we were kind of talking about some of this, this, type, uh, this type stuff as far as like following Jesus and what it means to really uh, say yes to walking with him. And one of our friends uh, towards the end, it was like, man, I just, I just don't even know where to begin. Like there's all these things that we can do, but like, I just don't even know where to begin actually following him. And if I could answer that even for you guys this morning, it is this, and it is to simply daily surrender to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that at all. Maybe you have never in your lifetime actually said yes to following Jesus. And the call is today you are being invited to repent, to walk, go from walking one way in a direction of sin and in separation from the Lord and actually turn around to find that he is standing right there waiting for us. And for those of us that have actually been following Jesus, maybe for a year, 10 years, or 50 years, like the invitation is still the same to daily surrender. And recognizing that like David, man, he would write in the Psalms and even say, God, search me, show me, know me. Is there any, shine the flashlight in my heart, in my life, is there any wayward, wicked way in me that I don't even know that I'm living in? But where do we start to actually walk into the kingdom of God? It is through repentance. It is through daily surrender. Every day I need to repent. Every day I need to deepen my belief in who he is by spending time with him. And every day I've got to choose to say yes to follow him. This isn't just a one time, we do it, we're done, we can keep on going. But it is an everyday reoccurrence of God, I've got to surrender to you again today. I need to repent if there's any sin in my heart. I've got to choose to spend time with you so that my understanding and my belief can grow. And then I have to choose to walk out of this place. Walk out of this room, walk out of your home, step out of bed, following you in obedience today. And as Grace and I, we were kind of decompressing from that conversation later on that night. And she said, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I didn't even think about till, till now that I wish I would have said is that when I was struggling through even desiring to grow deeper with the Lord, like a lot of it didn't even come until I just asked him to help me. Like maybe for you, like the, we're, we're struggling with growing, we're struggling with depth of belief, we're struggling with following in obedience, and the call is, I just need to ask you to help me, God. Like I need to repent and lay aside my pride that says, I can do this, I got this, I got it under control. Maybe we just need to lay that aside and say, God, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. Like, unless you come in and invade my life, unless you come in and actually deepen that in me, unless you come in and do a work in me, I can't grow deeper. And so maybe we just need to ask today, like, God, help grow the roots of my heart deeper. Help me to understand more. Help illuminate the areas of my life that I need to repent of. Help me surrender to you. We are called to repent, to believe, and to follow. And as Brian has said again, the call is we are to walk with Jesus so that we can learn from Jesus, so we can become more like Jesus, recognizing that God's kairos time, the specific, the exact, the strategic time of God's kingdom is here right now. It is with us in this moment. 
It is close. It is near. It is not far off. It is not distant, but it is with us in this moment. And so as the band comes up and as we move into a time of worship, I believe there's a few places here for us to respond. And the first one would be maybe we, for the first time, Again, we just need to repent for the first time. We need to find one of our staff or, or one of the prayer members, and, and we need to get our life right today for the first time. Today, recognizing I can walk out of this door for the first time ever with the, po- the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit in me, guaranteeing that one day I get to spend eternity with my Creator. I get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. I can repent today. And this is a life, there's a life that we have been living that has been crumbling underneath us. We have tried to build it up. We have created our own kingdom. We have created our own gods in our life. And Jesus is calling us and inviting us today to say, walk away from that and trust me that what I have for you is so much better. The other thing would be, where is my belief in who Jesus says he is? Maybe we just need to spend some time up here on our knees and in prayer asking God to deepen my belief in him. Like as as hard and as painful as the month of December was for me, I would not trade that for anything because of the depth of desperation it stirred inside of me to actually know Jesus more. And it hurts, and it is uncomfortable, and it is, it, it's just quite honestly scary sometimes. But I wouldn't trade that desperation of Jesus, help me, help my belief deepen. God, I'm like that father right now. I just, I'm just struggling. I believe that you really are there. I need you to help deepen that in me. Maybe we need to spend some time asking the Lord to do that. And the last thing would be is asking him, Jesus, where are you calling me to walk with you? Maybe we're right where we're supposed to be. Maybe we have or you have taken those steps of obedience to lead you where you are in your life. And the call now is just to be faithful in that. So maybe we need to ask the Lord, help me just to be faithful and continue to honor where you've called me to be. Or maybe you're asking me to step out in some faith somewhere. And I need to make that decision today to say, okay, Lord, I'm taking this step. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm willing to go because you're calling me to go with you. Ask the Lord, where where are you leading me to follow in obedience? We're going to move into a time of uh, prayer and worship and communion. We've got communion on both sides of the room here. And again, if you've never said yes to Jesus, before you step in to receiving communion, man, find somebody today and surrender and repent and, and step into the kingdom that he's calling us to. As believers, we are called to, as often as we meet, grabbing the elements, getting the wafer, as we eat that bread or that styrofoam that is a symbolism of Jesus' life, which, man, you'd think those packets, like they'd make that substance a little bit more, a little bit more substant with it being the life and the body of Jesus. But we're going to take that wafer, and that is a symbol of, man, Jesus' life, that it was broken for me on the cross. And we drink that juice as a reminder that his blood has cleansed me of sin. And because of that, because of the freedom I can walk in that, we will be reunited with him one day. And so, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are calling us and inviting us. 
Lord, that you love us and that you want to be with us. You want relationship with us, God. You created us to worship you and that we have the ability to be your sons and your daughters adopted into your family. And so I just pray that in this time of worship, Holy Spirit, that you will move freely that we lay aside the distractions, we lay aside our religious habits, we lay aside um, just the things that are, are, are keeping us in bondage and saying, Holy Spirit, will you transform us this morning? Lord, we give you freedom in this place. respond if you want to take communion if you want to stand up if you want to sit down whatever you need to do to respond to whatever God's saying to you right now just take that time <laughs> 